We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kernin. Joining me for this episode is Sean Nahas. Sean is the Girls Director for the North Carolina Courage Academy. He's also the assistant coach with the North Carolina Courage NWSL team. He's had 13 years experience with Castle, one of the top clubs in the country for producing talent, especially on the girls' side. And he's also had an experience with the U14, U20 national team and, and scouting with them as well. So uh, I don't work at the youth development side, so it's not really a conversation based on the type of players we're producing. But what I wanted to ask Sean and the insight I wanted to draw from him was based on environments and culture. So as a college coach, I'm fascinated by why some players struggle to adapt to a full-time environment in college and where, other, where others seem to excel. Uh, how, do you, how is this facilitated at a youth level? How is it built? Um, and then how, how do you grow character? How do you expose them to adversity? All the mental challenges that players get to college and they say, oh, this is, this is tough, this is difficult. How are, we, how are we building that at a youth level? And then also I wanted to draw on his experiences from working with Paul Riley, uh, how that was how he focused on the process and how then that was facilitated to the youth level as well. Um, so a lot of good stuff in this here. Uh, look at the mention or listen to the number of times he talks about environment. How does he deal with this with his parents as well? So um, I love this conversation. Really enlightening for me, really educational. Hope you enjoy it. Sean, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, my pleasure, Gary. Um, I really wanted to pick your brain on just from from someone like yourself with experience at at the youth level, at the national level, at the pro level, uh, I want to see what the what the connections are and how we can kind of facilitate slash improve um, the relationships between each one. So I wanna I wanted to throw one at you straight away. Let's start at the top, and in your experience of you know national team level, um, pro level with the courage, the top players. What are the the characteristics that separate them from the rest? Um, yeah, I mean, f- for me, the, the groups that I've had the, the pleasure of working with, the one thing that sticks out is is a humbleness, um, and and with that is the with that humbleness comes the 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 idea that they're they're not satisfied, and they they do know that there's still so much more to gather, and within that environment that they're in they're always striving to get better there's always little nuances whether it's in the training dynamic or game dynamic they're always asking questions um but they're they're competitive within themselves but they're also competitive in the overall nature and culture of the group um that i think pushes them but also pushes everyone else around them um i have not come across a player that has turned off um and feeling as though that they have all the answers. Um, they, they always feel as though 
whether it's a video clip, whether it's uh, staying after training, whether it's asking for uh, you know extra exercises to work on some of their weaknesses, that inner competitiveness is what really, to me, sets them apart um, because they're striving for a different level. They're striving for greatness and they're just not, they're never satisfied um, or they never get complacent because at that level, they always do know that there's someone else behind them um, that could potentially come and take their spot on any given day. You've never experienced a top player who was like uncoachable, unopen to new ideas, getting better. Not with the players that I've dealt with. Not wow. when I was with, yeah, not not when I was with the twenties, and not when I was with, um, you know, having the opportunity to work with the courage. And you know, I say it all the time. I've been pretty fortunate. You know, sometimes you have to, um, you have to sort of that that trust has to be built. So while it may come across as though that they are, um turning a blind eye to it they it's just a matter of gaining that confidence and that trust with them to let them know that hey the ideas that i'm giving you is not a knock against you so and then once they get that that relationship and you've you formulated that relationship the doors open up and that's something i've been really fortunate and even to this day you know i have players reaching out you know still asking for for ideas or 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 things just because you know they 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 have that little have that connection and and like i said i've been fortunate um and almost almost over fortunate and really privileged to have, to have the opportunity to work with the players that, I, that i've worked with yeah just go back to that humility aspect of it then so obviously that that's a personal quality that's probably maybe developed by parents family structure etc and, and right. what what can a coach at, at a younger level say 12 13 14 what can a coach do to to build it or to, to help grow it? Yeah, I'm, I'm learning that more and more because obviously with the, with the youth level, um, you know, everything is, is very different. It's uh, so many people feel as though that if they're not at the top level or if they're not always playing or they're not doing all these little things that they're not going to get to the level of that youth national team or that professional player. So they think it all is hindered and, and it all rides on that one particular season or that one particular age group. Um, and I think the one thing that, that I've, that I've learned is, is the educational piece. It's, you know, letting the kid know that the, the imperfections of what they're doing and, and I, I've had to mature with it as well, but the imperfections that they may show in a game is not, um, is not the it's that's a positive because those are what's going to get them that's going to show them what they need to do to get to that level if they don't have any imperfections if they didn't have any mistakes they would never that's where the complacency kicks in and that's where that uncoachability kicks in um but the 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 acknowledgement of the mistake uh influencing how they can correct it you know maintaining the high standards within the training environment um, those are all things that I think carry those players throughout. And if you set the tone and you and you educate from the get go and you and you have those expectations from day one, um, not many questions can be asked along the way. Does it help? You, you mentioned the word environment. And does it help with you know putting a, a group of those like minded players together? You know, it, it must help surely with growing that there and saying like players holding each other accountable and themselves accountable. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we, you know, in, in our environment, you know, we have so many players, but within the GDA environment or in previous years with the, within the, when I was with the ECNL group, it's, it's always been a, a tough subject. It's, you know, I always, I, I equate a lot of things to what I do now to school. 
you know, and I always say, well, you know, everyone wants to be in the top group, but then I always say, well, not every kid's in the honors classes. So, you know, it's, you have to work to get there and, and there's things that come along the way and there's hiccups that come along the way and each player and now, you know, particularly each student is set in their environment that's going to help them grow and learn at the, at the best level. Um, so, you know, you have, an, you have a, uh, an understanding of what each player needs. So even within your own training environment, sometimes you have to pair players with like-minded players or like-level players or um, what technical proficiency one player may have. Um, you know, depending on what you're doing, you have to pair it because that's what's going to get them to that next stage. However, um, you know, I also do see that in, you know, in the youth game, because there's such a huge discrepancy or a huge, um, variety of players at different levels that it, it could be demoralizing sometimes for a player. If they're with a player, another player that is at a completely different level whether it's good and or bad, because, you know, it could either be discouraging or it could become too easy. So, yeah, I think I think challenging that environment and creating that that environment for those players only pushes them to succeed um, while also realizing, OK, that particular player is better than me at these certain particular aspects of the game. But that player can help me um, help me grow. And I find that a lot. Uh, I'm only on the female side. Um, but I find that to be something that we really encourage within our own environment. Yeah, a form of for, like humility and failure almost go together, don't they? Because that player has to, in order to be humble, you've got to realize that you're not great at something and that you can, you're open to criticism, you're open to failure, defeat, etc. How do you expose those players to setbacks that maybe won't come on a Saturday whenever they win every match or, or the majority of games? Yeah, I think it's it's um, it's all how we challenge them. And, I, you know, I, I've been with the club going on 14 and a half years. And, you know, a lot of the things that we do, you know, um, at least in the environment that, that I've been in, it, it's it's tough because, you know, you do have a lot of success and you are trying to challenge the kids to to develop. And, you know, when you a lot of stuff that you have to do has to be done within the training environment it's the game is the game and, and that's, that's out of your control. You can only train the kids at the level that you would expect them to be at. Um, and the, the, the training environment is where you have them 95% of the, of the, of the season. Um, you know, whether it's three, four times a week, the game is just, it's a test, right? And, you know, some kids aren't good test takers and some kids struggle in certain environments in a, in a, in a training, in a, in a soccer setting. So, you know, when we're, when we have them, you know, we want to push them to, not that necessarily always be successful, but to have them struggle a little bit because when they struggle, they realize, all right, we got to focus or we got to really dig deep and we have to listen to the little ideas that they're giving us, but also in reward to when they are able to achieve it and they are able to see the success on those Saturdays and Sundays through all of those ups and downs and mistakes, um, even if maybe a couple of sessions, that reward for them is, okay, we did it. And that work was worthwhile and now they're itching for more um you know if, if you go into a training environment knowing hey listen the team we're playing this weekend is is going to be a walkover um you're setting the kid up for failure because you're losing opportunity for them to grow uh and i think that's all part of we don't stress and we don't stress results we don't stress anything other than how are we going to get better today when you step inside the lines let's make sure when we leave those lines we're leaving a better player than we did coming in 
big picture over results like you you would would I be right in saying that after a game if you know if you win you would still you would still have a few things that you would say weren't good enough if areas that let's say you won four zero you're picking apart maybe behaviors or maybe mistakes that they could have been you know always planting that seed that people can do better yeah, hundred percent. I think it's, um, and that's where you avoid that complacency. While you know you praise them in regards to those results that they may get, um, they also have to know that there are there were things that we probably didn't do at the level we would expect ourselves to do, um, and those are things that we have to work on coming forward. And you know, and most of the players that 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 you know, I know, like for example, the, I work with the seventeen and nineteen GDA, GDA group, and every time we say that their heads are nodding like yeah we know you know let's let's get back to the grind and um that's a fortunate piece of of what of what we have you know it happened even with the pro group you know and and paul does a great job of creating an environment where you stay the course we 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 we're we're, we're going to continue to work hard we're going to continue to scrap we're going to continue to believe and build in what we're doing and you know there's no end product uh, there's no end road, and that's something that we try to carry over to our girls as well. Um, we don't, we do not talk about the result aspects um, because we don't want that complacency to set in. Yeah, the the one thing I knew about, or one thing I noticed about the courage uh, towards the end of last season was, you know, as the playoff run went going and more more interviews went viral with Paul and the players, th- like there was a common thread of togetherness toughness the language was seemed so intentional is you know is there an emphasis does paul place or where does paul place huge value on in terms of is it meeting sessions is it just the consistency of it how does he do that i mean it's an overall environment that he's created you know coming in for the first year for myself and 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 witnessing it you know you think of a pro environment of you know the the um everyone's just gonna you know the the there's that there's not that humility there's not the personalities it's a very different thing and i, I the girls that 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 were on this group and, and the women also they were there on this group were unreal um you know from personalities to approachability to making you feel welcome making you feel part of the group even after having they, they, they happened to, to win it the, the year before they weren't satisfied. It was okay. Well, that was great. That was last year, but now we have another job to do. And, you know, he sets the tone from the beginning and the players is, I think it's just their nature. Um, they're a hardworking group of girls and they push each other every single day. They're never satisfied. Um, but the overall environment of the group was such a close tight knit group. Um, and every single day, you know, there was always, they were always laughing. They were always eager to learn. Um, and they always wanted more. And I think that sometimes is something that's missed, um, because you don't see it from the outside, but he created that, um, that environment. That's just, that's Paul's personality. He's a fun loving guy. And, um, it, and, and as was Scott, the, you know, Scott Valley, the assistant coach and the rest of the staff, it was just a tight knit group. We often talk as, you know, you mentioned environment, culture. I think too often as coaches, we think that, uh, great culture changes, moving it from bad to good. When really, the the goal is moving it. The like great coaches move something from good to great. So you're talking about bringing in a, a really high level player 
and then making their mentality like just go into overdrive or get to a place that you know and no one in the league can handles the the I would guess and I'm just curious from a from a real personal point of view here how's that what's the conversations amongst the staff daily in that environment is it is it centered towards individuals is it centered towards the team and what's a day in the life of that environment like yeah it's a common to be honest with you, Gary it's it's a, it's a combination of the two um you know we within the environment you know one thing that i always say is if individually we're um if each of us individually are great then as a whole uh as a team we're we're, we're unstoppable if we each take care of our individual roles and responsibilities, then collectively we're fantastic. Um, and that's something that, that was stressed. And, and I think it's within the environment, we knew where we had to get better um, on the overall uh, aspect of the team. But we also knew that individually we had to focus on certain pieces to help that sort of blend together. Um, you know, so there are days, whether it's, you know, with the pro group or the, or the youth group, um, there are days that uh, that you do have to focus a little bit more on the individual if you're trying to focus on certain things. But, you know, it was more of a holistic piece um, because it, that's just the way that, that we felt worked best with the group um, in the time that we had. And then you'd always pull players aside and we'll talk about some individual aspects about what the game and what had, coming up had in hand or in store. And um, But there was always those moments where uh, we did that, it was just more of the the holistic piece where we got the whole group involved, so that um, you know they all knew that they all had a piece of the puzzle and a piece of the pie coming into the the next weekend's game. In terms of the, you know, so it sounds like the the relationship, but everyone's on the same page, right? So you've got a highly mm-hmm. competitive group of players with a highly engaged, highly communicative group of staff. So can you just can you talk about how that's managed in terms of the leadership? Is there a is there a formal communication? Go is there a weekly meeting with a captain, a captain's group, or, or how is that? I suppose how is the 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 commun- the message communicated on a daily or weekly basis to the team? Um, yeah, from a from a from a from a youth standpoint it's it's usually um you know i have three other staff or two other staff members um, we have a goalkeeper director and then we have uh, david madrin who's our assistant gda director and nathan is our nathan thackeray is our um uh director of goalkeeping and he's also an assistant coach with the courage as well so there's two pieces that are able to go from the pro to the youth side and connect it um so i think you know it's it's uh for the youth side, it's very different. We we sort of relay to the players. You know, we'll have a staff meeting maybe every biweekly just to sort of review some things um, about what we see in the game. But a lot of the stuff was done preseason and how we wanted to periodize and how we wanted to approach what we're doing into the season based on the level of players, the philosophy, the style, um, the training environment, the culture, and all that piece because it was a new program being set with the with the pro group. You know, a lot of it is, you know, because I'm not in that office all the time, I'm more, I'm coming and going. Um, a lot of that message is sent from the head coach down. Um, and, you know, whether it's conversations via phone call or team meetings, um, that's usually how it was. But a lot of it was just broken down into daily. This is what we're doing today. This is what we're doing today. And, 
um, you know, come Monday, we, we would provide the scout for the following week and that would be the game plan for that week. So it was a lot of turnaround, a lot of extra work, um, but it was all extremely rewarding uh, based on the, on the, on the season that we had. Love it. Love the, love the culture stuff, especially teaching young players about, you know, the, these, these aspects of performance that are so, so important. So here I've got one good one for you now. How does, so we're talking about holding people accountable, challenging players. You mentioned earlier about, you know, the result that you might, you might have a, you know, your, your tone after the game might change. Even if you win a game, you might be looking at things that are constantly challenging players. Mm-hmm. How does a youth coach hold players to that level of accountability without the players going, oh, I can't stand you. You're always picking on stuff. You're just being negative. You know, can you talk about how you work through the balance of that? Yeah, for sure. And that's something I've had to really grow with. You know, when, when I first started coaching, it was always you always wanted to get the results because you always felt that the results were um, in correlation to how you were as a coach, whether or not you were doing your job and if the players weren't succeeding, it, it's, it was frowned upon poorly or bad light based on what people would say, well, he's the coach. And that's something I had to really grow and mature with and, you know, having the opportunities to be around top notch, top notch coaches, um, you know, in my career and being able to observe and, and study so much and have been fortunate to see professional clubs and, and how they handle things. It's, it's a fine balance. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm not going to lie. When I, when I first started, it was a lot of hooting and hollering. And, and over the last year and a half, two years, I just realized it's just not, it's not worth it. It's not working um, as the way I want. And that relationship that I have with my players now, I feel you got to provide that personal touch, you know, and you have to get to understand the players and, and how they are and, and be able to notice on a day if they just don't look right and their body language and, if they're not carrying themselves as they normally would, and whether it's after training, calling them, or you know, uh, or speaking with them at training, just to see, hey, is everything okay? Because when you get that personal touch and you, and you create that relationship, they realize that it's a lot more than just soccer. Um, so that when we are hard on them, they also do know that there is that personal side of it as well. Um, to say, okay, well, he's just holding me to a higher standard. He knows we have more to give. It's not a matter of, you know, and it's. It, Guys, it's all about setting those expectations from the beginning. If I don't set those expectations from the beginning or a coach doesn't, then we can't hold those players accountable midway through the year. Um, you can't just turn the dime and start losing it and saying, well, that's not the level we want to be at when that was never set from the beginning. So those expectations are set you know, with our preseason meetings and, and the culture that we want. And like I said, we've just been really fortunate. Um, and, and the education piece is the most important. And as long as they know going in that you're going to hold them accountable and there's going to be days where they're not going to want to hear the things they want to hear, but you find that happy balance. Um, and sometimes all it is is, hey, guys, great job today. Uh, that's something that I, again, I've tried to implement more and more. Um, and, you know, based on our results, you know, throughout the season, I know I don't, I don't I use that word the way I do normally do, but you know, the kids have had great success and they're having fun while doing it. Mm-hmm. How much of it, again, first thing was the humility aspect of it, which, again, I said, it's, I, I think the, the fam- family values are, are really, really important there. Mm-hmm. How much of it is communicated to families and parents? Um, yeah, I mean, and that's probably something that, you know, I, I 
I, you know, I, as well as many coaches can, can, can be better at. I, you know, all the, the, the preseason meetings are parent meetings and as well. So there's a player parent meeting, or excuse me, there's a, there's a player preseason meeting and there's a parent meeting based on what the, the program is going to entail. Um, and I, I like to, I'll try, I'll try and send an update to the parents every week and a half to two weeks, just a program update. Let them know how, how we see things going, where we see things moving forward, you know, giving them all the packets of the, of the player roles and responsibilities and the individual responsibilities of what their particular player is going to have to endure. Um, that's all given to them at the beginning of the season. You know, if there's something that's of major concern of mine, if I see a player not being themselves, if I see it happening over a short amount or a long period of time, um, you know, when I say a long period of time, I mean like a, maybe two or three sessions. Um, I'll usually bring that to the parents' attention. I've yet to really have to do that um, because I always want to go to the player based on their age. Obviously, if they're 12 or 13, it's different. But, you know, I'm dealing with 17 to 19-year-olds that are a little bit more open to, to talking. Um, and, and, it's, and it's worked. And, and, you know, again, it's... If you educate, it, it, it stops from there having to be too many questions down the road. Do you have a policy of, you know, a 48-hour policy with parents or anything after games? Don't contact me. I'll contact you. Or what's your policy with that? Yeah, the club usually has a 24-hour rule. Um, you know, the day after a game sort of, you know, obviously there there's extenuating circumstances at times and, you know, I've had a, you know, there's a couple of calls this, this year you get after a game for whatever reason, and, you know, I'll pick up the phone and, you know, and you, you have a conversation and sometimes it doesn't go the way people want. And sometimes it does, but at the end of the day, each person gets their, their thoughts across and, and you come to a mutual agreement and, and you move forward. And as long as it's done in what's best for the player. Um, and I think that, that the policy is probably, it's a club wide policy. It's not just a program policy um, that, that we have implemented. Let's look at the college. We looked at pro. We've gone to youth. Let's look at the college game now. And you know what? If you could change one thing or improve one thing, looking at college coaching or the what would it be? I think the college dynamic. Um, it's tough because you're asking for a three month season or roughly. And I, I think it just it for me. And I'm I'm a big development guy. It it hinders the development of a player. Um, I, you know, I know the proposal or the thought has been out for, to go to a, a full year term. And I think that would be fantastic for player development in the college game. Um, I just, I know that the, the, the hindrances behind it, but I just think that would be the one change because there are so many top quality coaches in the college game um, and so many quality programs. And there's so many, there's, there's a place for every kid to play. And I just feel you know, limiting the amount of time you could be on a training field or limiting the amount of time you'd be spending with the ball at your feet is hindering those, is, is holding those players back from, from future development because now you're looking at three months on roughly and then really you're not, you're not really doing anything structurally again for a long time. And, you know, that's a big view. I, th I think I, I looked at the math of it and I tried to break it down the best I could was out of four years, you're looking at really a year of true development. Um, and that's three years off, you know, so uh, that's the one piece that I think um, one, the players, I think, would enjoy. Um, but I also think that, that that's where the player development would would really, really grow. Mm. What let me ask you this. What, I mean, you must be from a from a recruiting standpoint, you probably get as much um, 
I would imagine calls, texts, you know, you must be inundated with people bugging you for players every day of the week because that game is such that there's like that is the name of the game almost in college. Yeah. What what do you feel separate? Like what I suppose from a personal point of view, what do you look at and say, Yeah, I think this would be a good fit for a player rather than saying what separates a good program from a bad program in your point of view? Yeah, I think, you know, we do a, we have meetings with our families and players about how the recruiting process are, is, should be handled on their part because obviously all of our kids grow up in ACC country or SEC country and they all, that's all they know. Um, so the hardest thing sometimes is to get them to either realize that there's other opportunities for them, whether it's a mid-major or what have you, or they go to those SEC, ACC or wherever, you know, the, the big the big time schools, the big the, the top five programs or conferences. Um, you know, for us, it's, it's, you know, we ask the question of what are you looking for socially? You look at what size of the school, um, how far away from home, you know, uh, we don't really delve into the financial piece because I think that's more of a private personal question, um, that those families have to handle on their own. Um, but those are the things like, cause I, I know if I have a quiet kid, um, that's just their nature going to those big, big programs is probably going to they're probably going to get a little bit overwhelmed, whereas maybe the mid-major um, type school is best fit for them. So it's really just about their personalities, about their characteristics. You know, if, if we will never tell a kid no. Um, you know, what I do is I have our families send us or the, the, the players will send me a list of schools that they're interested in, whether it's 20 schools, 30 schools from the beginning. And then I'll send them back a file of breaking it down into tiers where I think it's best suited for them. So tier one is what's best suited. Tier two is not not a bad choice, but it may be a little bit harder. And tier three is maybe a little bit far fetched, but you know we'll we'll push for it and see what comes of it. And then they have an idea. Okay, this is where I got to steer my my thoughts to. Um, I will never tell a kid no because you just you don't know how the what the college coaches may or may not be looking for. Um, but we'll always be upfront and honest with them from the from the get go. The most common one, I'm guessing, I want to play for Chapel Hill. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's Chapel Hill, Duke, and you know, and and you know all those types of schools, and yeah, I think you know we, I, you know, we're fortunate. Like for example, our 19s have six or seven kids going to Chapel Hill off that team, um, you know, and our our 17s have two UVAs and um, a couple, you know, uh, uh, South Carolina, Southern California, and you know, six, six kids go of yeah. one team go to Carolina. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, we're we're you know, and again, a lot of it is 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 based on, you know, they want to be close to home. You know, a lot of these families, their their family, their parents have gone to Chapel Hill or have gone to NC State, or you know, so the the numbers are there. But again, that's one of the, it's a few and far between type thing. And, you know, over the, and Gary, to be honest, over the last three years, four years, we could, with the kids that have come from our club, we'd be able to potentially, you know, we'd have, if you combine them all, you know, if they're graduated over 11, 12 kids go play at Chapel Hill. Um, because, and we've done just based on how we've changed things and, and we've, we've, it's, whereas in the past it was maybe like a Casey Nagara. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or, or Bessie uh, Frederick, it, it wasn't the big time numbers, but, you know, I think, yeah, a lot of them want to go there, but, um, I'm that guy that has to be the honest one, um, and say, okay, or uh, that's going to be a little bit tough because of the level you're currently at. Mm-hmm. 
I'd, yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's hard. it must yeah, but it must as well. You know, on the other side of it, it does it create a different problem to where like. You know, a young player from your region and your club signing for Carolina or Duke must be the equivalent of a European 14, 15 year old signing for Manchester United. So, is your then, you know, is your, is your response to their commitment to be like, all right, let's do you reprogram their development in terms of their, you know, reshape or remind? Or do you just leave that to the college coach and you just continue? No, I mean, I, I, I mean, I, they're they're part of our program, so I have an obligation, mm-hmm. and our staff has an obligation to continue to develop them. Once they're committed, to me, the work's really just beginning. You know, we don't, I don't, I don't, I don't coach or or train kids to for them to go play college soccer. That's that's the that's a benefit. You know, in order to get there, they have to be shown the you know given the right tools and ideas, and that's what our club has done. And um, you know, a kid commits, that's you know that's a feather in the cap, not for us as a club but for the player because of the work and, and time and sacrifice that they and their families have put in. Um, we're a piece of the puzzle, but our job is to make sure that that complacency doesn't kick in. I've seen it far too often where players commit and they check out and um, and it's just like, okay, well, I'm done. I've already committed, so what more is there to do? But realistically, they've only verbally committed and things can sometimes fall off the cliff. And you know, we, we really strive to make sure that, okay, that's great, you know, we'll, we'll, you'll take the day or two to, to be acknowledged, but, you know, you still have a, a, an obligation to uh, to the club and to the program. And, and the, the, the easiest way to sell that is a lot of these kids are committing at such a young age now that they're not going to college in a month. They're going to college in two, three years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so we have to make sure that when, when they get there, that they're ready to play at that standard um, because the college coaches and programs are trusting and trusting us to do that. All right, last one for you. Best player sure. you've worked with over your whole uh, coaching career. Uh, uh, that's a that's a that's a tough one because I've had so. I mean, <laughs> I know, I, I know. That's why. Yeah, I like. yeah. It, it it would be unfair to um, well, give give me three then. Give me three. I mean, I, I can the one that the one that sticks out to me, and not not because of anything soccer related, but just because of all she's endured. Um, Taylor Otto, who's at Chapel Hill right now, is a player that I had when she was at when she moved here from Michigan at ten. Um, and Taylor went through two ACL tears. Um, you know, basically hadn't been recruited, hadn't been committed yet. Ended up committing to Chapel Hill. Um, you know, and it was funny because she she came back and her first touch of the ball uh, was at ECNL Nationals with our. It was at the time our Castle Chelsea team, and the first touch of the ball she scored. I was hesitant on putting her in. I'm like, I don't know. And then I, I told her I'd only get her 10 minutes. And then her second touch of the ball, she scored the second. And I looked at, I looked at everyone. I said, I got to get her off the field because I'm, this is perfect. I'm done. And I, t- I ended up taking her off. Um, and she ended up redoing her knee. And we weren't sure how she was going to recover. And you know, Taylor ended up making the, the U20 World Cup team and played every minute as a center back. And you know, right. What a lot of people don't know is right before that camp, she tore her meniscus, and it was a it was a do or die type thing. And she said, "I'll take it out. I'm going to play in the World Cup." Um, and to have that and share that experience with her, knowing all she's done, and then to see her, you know, make a all freshman all American team this year at Chapel Hill, and and have the impact she did. Um, that type of stuff. It's not soccer stuff. It's just knowing all she endured to get there. 
Um, but then, you know, I've had, I've been fortunate enough to be able to work with Mal and, and Lynn and Sammy and uh, McCall. Uh, but I, I've, there's, every player that I've worked with has had an impact on who I am as a coach um, and more so now on who I am as a, as a person and, and strive to be because um, what they don't realize is all that stuff that all the work that they put in is something that we sometimes fail to recognize in the moment. But the sacrifices they provide for us and entrusting us, I think, is you, you always have to, to give tip your hat to every player that, that you have the fortunate uh, opportunity to work with. Brilliant. That's a nice way to finish it, Sean. Um, I mean, I was, I've always respected and admired the program from afar. So when I was gearing up for this chat, I was, I was thinking that it was going to be a real insight into not only player development, but we talk about cultures and we think of All Blacks and we think of Chapel Hill. And I don't think we appreciate that cultures and environments need to be created at the youth levels as much as they do at the elite and pro levels. So really, really fascinating to, to hear how you do that. And, and the role of a coach then is huge because you're, you're the one that's you know, the gatekeeper of it, so to speak. So really appreciate your insight on that. Yeah, no, I mean, my pleasure. And I've, I've always had great respect for what you do and, um, and, and, and the insight that you provide us as coaches as well and all you're doing for the game. And, you know, just, just on, on, on top of what you just said, it's our job as coaches is, is to also, you know, teach these kids a little bit of accountability so that when they are in the real world, when they do have their real jobs, that there are standards that they do have to meet, um, whether it's a project or you know, there's, there's a lot more value than just the in, in the lines type thing. And I think these, those are the things that I think they fail to realize now. But as you get have those those kids that graduate out and they're in their field of work and they realize why, I mean, to get texts or letters or, or calls from a player saying, now I know why you were so hard on us, that to me means more than anything in the world. And I think that's the piece and culture that we strive to, to project in, in, our, in our club environment. Thanks so much to Sean for joining me for that and for his insight. I thought it was really interesting, the first thing that he mentioned and brought up when we're talking about top youth players and players that are progressing to national teams and that excel at that level are the personality traits. So as we build and build players and build teams, it's always the thing that holds them back or shoots them to the next level is their attitude, their commitment their reaction to adversity, criticism, etc., etc. So how can we build that? How can we do more of that there? Environment psychology is becoming so, so important in coaching. Um, and I think we've got to get better at that there. And at the youth level especially, I think people like Sean's insight is fantastic because they've cracked it. And, you know, it, it's, uh, it's something that we can all learn from. So um, thanks so much to Sean. He puts a lot of good stuff online. Um, he's, he's a big student of the game, so I would urge you to follow him, get in touch with him, connect with him. Uh, and if you enjoyed it, hopefully you did, take, uh, take time, just give it a rating and uh, give us a little tweet. Share the love, keep growing the podcast. Thanks so much, folks, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, Head on over to Coach Kernine on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com.